Good morning, Harvest. Uh, Merry Christmas. Right, only a few more sleeps. Pretty cool. I feel like, I don't know, I, I still get stoked for Christmas. I don't know about you guys. I'm almost 50. I think I bought my own gifts, so I know what the, they are, but I'm, I'm still on that. I can't wait. Only a few more sleeps. It's so exciting. Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, a classic Christmas story here. It's not really, but we're gonna, it is gonna be about Christmas. You're gonna see how this does apply. As you go to 1 Kings chapter 19 in the Old Testament there, and as you're turning there, I got a, a confession to make. I, I'm not a huge fan of, of artsy movies, right? That, that have these endings that are so raw and real and they don't resolve anything. Right? Where, where it feels like you've just watched somebody's life just kind of unfold and the director of the movie's like, all right, cut, let's wrap it up. I guess that's good. Like there's, there's no resolution to it. I, I watch movies to escape. That's why I watch them. So I, I love movies that have the happily ever ending to them. Right, that the battle is won, the couple gets together, they make the final shot and the team wins, they, they ride off into the sunset. And so when you come to 1 Kings chapter 19, there's this huge letdown in the historical events being unfolded here. And it's, it's not a hallmark Christmas movie. It is so raw and so real. Let, let me catch you up to what's going on in chapter 19. Elijah just had this huge victory. He, he was the underdog on, on Mount Carmel. He's, he's up on this mountain and, and he has this, this spiritual battle between the prophets of Baal and him. And he's outnumbered, six, 850 to one. And he pulls out this unbelievable, epic, victorious smackdown on the mountain there. And God answers Elijah's prayer. He's like, Elijah's praying, God, God, make yourself be known today. And God shows up, pours down fire from heaven, burns up the altar. I mean, it's, it's like, roll the credits. Like, like Elijah had his, like, it's a George Costanza moment. Like, go out on a high point. Thanks, good night, we're done. He should have walked off right there, right? No Seinfeld fans in the room. All right, that's cool. That's all right. Like we'd expect Elijah to be on the highest of spiritual highs ever, but instead of that, he comes down off of this mountaintop followed by an unbelievable spiritual low. You see, right after this victory, Queen Jezebel sends this message that she's gonna hunt down and kill Elijah. So Elijah runs for his life. And he goes from this, this mountaintop experience to living in despair in the wilderness. And it's here in the wilderness, I want to show us the hope we have for Christmas. The hope of Christmas. In that wilderness place you might find yourself in, in that place where you feel dry and empty, in, in that place where it feels like you're in the battle all alone. It's in that, that place, maybe that season of life that seems to last for so long. There is hope announced on Christmas for those who are in the wilderness. In fact, Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says it this way, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, if, if you can relate to this idea of wilderness, you're like, man, I, I know what that's like. And I don't know what your particular wilderness may be if, if you feel you're in that place right now, whether, whether for you it's a, a relationship that is so hard right now or, or maybe it's a, a financial difficulty that you're in. Maybe it's a spiritual dryness. 
a dark season of anxiety or, or depression, or, or maybe for you the wilderness is just the wilderness that so many are in right now, this, this, this loneliness and unknownness, this disruption of the year we've been in this year, and you feel the weight of what it's like to be in this life in the wilderness. Listen, here, here's what I want us to see today. As we anticipate Christmas, this is the one big thought I've got for us this morning that I, I hope we see from God's word. It's this, that the, the struggle of the wilderness becomes a gift from God when it leads us to a desperate dependence on him. That the, the, the struggle of life in the wilderness actually becomes a gift when it drives us to this place, when it leads us to have this desperate, Lord, I need you. I want us to see the reality of Matthew 1.23 in the life of Elijah, a, a guy who was so desperate, so depressed, so alone, so fearful. And in that wilderness, he experiences Emmanuel. God with us. L listen to where he's at. L look at verse two of 1 Kings chapter 19. Then Jezebel sends a message to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So, so here's Elijah, right? he's, he's followed God, he's been so faithful, he's been used by God to do this incredible work. He, he's been on this mountaintop, like literally and spiritually on this mountaintop and, and he sees God use him, he experiences a, a victory like no other, but there's no celebration party, there's no trophy, there's no high fives, there's no viral campaign of love for Elijah. You have this death threat from the Queen Jezebel, an even more evil wife than the evil of the evil King Ahab. She says, I'm gonna kill you, I'm taking you out. So look at verse three. It goes on. Then he, Elijah, was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. So here's Elijah, he's, he's scared for his life. He runs from, from Mount Carmel to, to Beersheba over 150 kilometers, this guy's running. You talk about fear. I've heard someone say that Elijah's like the Forrest Gump of Old Testament prophets. Run, Elijah, run, right? He's so scared, he's, he's now here in the wilderness. He, he's alone, he's hurting, he's desperate, he's depressed, he wants to die. What he had hoped would happen, he had put his hope, God's gonna work it out this way. What he expected to have happened has not happened and now here he is, he's depressed and he's angry with God. He thought he knew God. He thought he knew what he could expect from God and yet, yet now he's not so sure anymore and he's saying, I've had enough. I've had enough, God. I just can't take it anymore. And I can bet in a room this size that there are many of you, you've been at maybe that point in your life before. That there are some of you, maybe even right now, that's where you've at. And you've, you've said those very words where I'm done. I'm spent. I've had enough. I, I can't take it anymore. And it's here in that wilderness that God meets Elijah. Look at verse five. Goes on. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked and behold, there was at his head a, a cake baked on hot stones with, and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Those are some amazing pancakes, right? Look at verse 9 and 10. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And you notice what, what God's doing here first. Before we go further, here's what God's doing. There's a couple practical things. God sends an angel to care for Elijah. You understand, that's what angels do. Angels aren't just sort of hanging out. They're, they're sent by God with, with assignments to do, with things to do. So God sends this angel to Elijah. And what's the angel do? The angel sees Elijah in the wilderness and the angel says to Elijah, what's wrong with you? Like, have some faith, man. Here, here's a great podcast from the Gospel Coalition. You need to listen to this. Here's a sermon. Here's a book you need to read. Check your heart, Elijah. Now, what's the angel do? This messenger on assignment from God gets Elijah to have a rest and have some food. I want to unpack what it looks like for God to deal with our heart, with our soul, with our spirit as he, as he begins to encourage those who are in a wilderness season. But before I get there, we need to understand something that our, our heart, we're not just a big old heart walking around. Our heart, our soul, our spirit is in a body. It's wrapped up in a body. And so sometimes, listen, sometimes you don't need more prayer. Sometimes you don't need to listen to a sermon. You need to rest. You need a good book. You need to read a good book. You need to have a good meal. You need to go for a run. Just do something. And listen, that's not being unspiritual to say that. It's recognizing that we are a soul within a body. So God says, Elijah, get some rest, man. Look what else God does here. Verse 9. He came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here's the thing, God knows why Elijah's there. It's not like God was like, hey, I just wasn't looking after that whole fire thing. I got distracted. What happened? No, no, he knows why Elijah is there. God's not unaware of the circumstances that brought Elijah to that place, but what God's doing is God's giving Elijah this opportunity to unpack his heart. You see, in, in verse three, what did Elijah do? He pushed his servant away. He goes, I'm going to be alone. I don't want anybody around me. And listen, when you're in a wilderness of despair, it is so tempting to isolate, to be alone. I love how David Powlison, a Christian counselor and author, he says this, when you create a secret garden of any sort in your life, mutant things inevitably grow. When you hide out, when you lock people out, when you create a little secret garden, what grows is not good. And so God steps in and says, Elijah, I want you to express what's going on. And so Elijah pours out his heart. Here's what's going on. Here's all the things that are happening. And listen, I'm not saying that, that every emotion we have is good. I'm not saying that every emotion tells the truth. Even as Elijah pours out his heart, not everything he says is right. He's like, I'm the only one left. We're gonna find out that wasn't true. 
Our emotions aren't always right. They're not always good. I, I would say this, our emotions are like the, the lights on the dashboard of your car. They point to something deeper that's happening. And so when we, when we express those to, to God in prayer, or maybe you journal, or maybe you grab a, a good Christian counselor or friend who you trust, and you pour out what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. Why? Because you're, you're trying to get to a place where I'm seeing what's going underneath. I, I, I want to see what's happening on a deeper heart level. And these emotions are like a smoke alarm going off saying, there's a fire somewhere. When you read through the Psalms, the, so many of the Psalms are like that, aren't they? Just, just this unpacking of raw emotional expressions of a heart in search of hope. And so listen, listen, in the wilderness, don't isolate. Don't hide out. But here's the last thing God does. He comes alongside and he speaks to Elijah. For the rest of this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to look at this encounter that God has with Elijah because if you're in a wilderness today, what you need more than anything else is an encounter with the, the very real, with the very holy presence of God. You need an encounter where you experience his grace, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. Sure, maybe you need rest. Maybe, maybe you need a, a break. But what you need even more than that, you need to encounter the grace of God to experience Emmanuel, God with us. God steps in and he begins to give a word to the discouraged. He's given a word to those who are in a wilderness of disappointment where you're confused, you're, you're sad, you have unmet expectations. Like Elijah, you're wondering, God, God, why are you doing things this way? I'm doing all the right things, God. Why am I here in the wilderness then? Maybe that wilderness of disappointment, maybe it goes deeper for you and you, it, it's driven you into a further wilderness of, of discontentment. And you find yourself brooding a lot or angry or bitter or cynical or critical. Maybe for you, that wilderness of disappointment and discontentment has driven you further into a wilderness of despair. And you see no way out and, and you've begun to give up. And like I, uh, Elijah, you're saying, I'm done. It's into that wilderness, whichever one you may find yourself in this morning that God now speaks. And listen to what he says. Listen to what happens in verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Just two points we're going to quickly get to this morning. The first is this. When in the wilderness, what do we need to do? The first is this. Confront the lie. Confront the lie. See, in the wilderness, I think we're often believing lies. You, you, you see here, as, as God asks Elijah twice, why are you here? And, and Elijah says, what's going on? You see the lies that Elijah's believing. Because what happens is there's, a, there's a, a mix of truth and error in what Elijah says. What's he say? He says, I've been passionately and fully following and obeying you. True, true, he has. 
The people have rejected you. That's true. They've killed the prophets. That's true. And then he says this, I'm the only one left. That's false. It's a lie. Like look, look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, someone, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one, I was doing so good with those names, wasn't I? Then I hit that one, I couldn't do it. All right, and the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what's God saying. He's saying, Elijah, you don't, you don't even know what's going on. There's 7,000 others who, who haven't bowed to King Ahab, who haven't worshiped Baal. And he says, and I've got another prophet coming, Elisha, who we're gonna find out, he, he'll have twice the power of Elijah. But Elijah's embraced a lie. It's so often how, how time in the wilderness of despair and depression works that there are a few true things that are, are so true about that time in the wilderness, but they can lead us to believe lies. Lies that say all hope is lost. The lies that say this will never change. This person will never change. No one will ever understand. It's never going to get better. No one actually cares. You'll never be happy. And, and those are the lies of despair. Listen, those are the lies we have to start confronting in the wilderness. To stop listening to the lies and confront them with truth. Where you tell your despair that this is not forever. And even if, even if God forbid, it, it should last until your dying breath. If, if you never get out of this wilderness in this life to be able to say, this is not permanent. It will be conquered for all eternity when you experience the joy of the Father's presence in whose presence is the fullness of joy, at, at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's saying to Elijah, listen, I'm working on a plan a plan beyond anything you could ever imagine. And it's even greater than you. It's even greater than Elisha because a greater prophet is coming. God the Son, coming himself, Emmanuel, God with us. In the wilderness, we have to stop listening to the lies and start preaching. Now let's start preaching to ourselves, preaching the gospel over our lives. Preach loud and preach long-winded to yourself that you would preach, I'm not alone. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross proved that we're not alone, that, that Jesus experienced true loneliness so you and I never would have to. We can preach that, that my future is not dark and hopeless. The resurrection declares that. To preach that I will have joy again. It was uh, my, my favorite dead preacher of all time, Charles Spurgeon, um, I just started reading a book on his life where um, it talks about his lifelong struggle with depression. And here's a guy who was on fire for the Lord, a guy who knew the word, a guy who was full of faith, a guy who was on mission and yet still battled with a deep depression. But he decided to see the wilderness of his depression not as the absence of God's word, but actually as a word from God. 
Again, the struggle of the wilderness becomes a gift when it leads you to desperate dependence on God. And then he began to see that, that this wilderness he was in, this, this depression was, was God giving him a picture of something, something that went deeper than, than a life just filled with happiness and health and life. And so instead of always trying to, how do I escape out of this wilderness? He began to see Jesus at work in the wilderness. And he says this, he says, he was preaching a sermon and he said this, he says, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here. I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart. To seek, to realize afresh the power, listen where his hope's in, the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. He preached the gospel to himself. Jesus, your word, the word of your cross speaks a better word than the wilderness, so I'm gonna cling even more tightly to you. We need to preach this truth. We need to preach to our hearts daily. Don't let me be the only preacher you listen to. Grab God's word, pray, call out to the spirit to work and preach to yourself the gospel every day. Let this time right here, as I'm preaching, let this be an opportunity where you can grab a hold of a truth and say, God, would you apply that to my heart this week? I wanna seek more of you in this. I mean, Psalm 103 says this way. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 42 says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Who's the psalmist talking to there? He's talking to his soul, to his heart, where, where Satan is telling us, despair, give up on the Lord. He's not good. He, he's not for you. Instead, in the wilderness, you keep preaching the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's grace. Where you speak to those lies that are being told to your soul and you say, no soul, here's a truth. Let me say this as well in the wilderness. Allow the wilderness to be used by God to expose those idols of your heart. You see, when we're out of the battle, when we're on the mountaintop, it's, it's easy to give this, this lip service to God, saying God is so good and life is going great. And, you know, you know while, all the while our hands are grasped so tightly to these idols that we're actually saying, these are what give me hope. But God, you're good. But in the wilderness, God pulls away all these things so that we can really sing a heart full to say, hallelujah, Jesus, you're all that I have. I think of God's kindness. He, he leads us to the wilderness. To, why? To put our idols in plain view so we can see them. We can see the lies that are produced from them so we can put them to death with the truth of the gospel. And the struggle of the wilderness becomes this gift that leads us to a desperate dependence on God. Wilderness creates something in us that's so important for our faith, this, this desperate dependence. When, when, when all, if all I can see is comfort and ease, my heart wanders, right? And we let sleep take over our morning, leaving no time for prayer and the word. We're, we're no longer alert to sin and temptation. We, we become careless with eternal things. In the wilderness, Psalm 25.10 says this, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. I love that. All the paths, e even those paths that lead us into the wilderness, 
that, that God's steadfast love has brought us into this wilderness where he will never leave us or forsake us. Emmanuel, God with us. If you're in Christ, God has brought you into this desert to do a work that a mountaintop could never do. To expose the lies, to reveal the truth. That your life, your hope, your joy is found in Christ who, who died and rose again to save you for himself. The, the one who, who is your joy and your pleasure. So in the wilderness, we need this an encounter with, with, with God. We need this intimate moment where we experience his grace, where we see his goodness, where we feel his loving kindness, where we know the mercy of the presence of God to see that he is Emmanuel, God with us. We confront the lie. Here's our last point. We confront the lie. We also embrace God's grace. We embrace God's grace. You know, God says to Elijah, hey, come on out of the cave. I want to talk to you in verse 11. But Elijah doesn't come out right away. He doesn't actually come out until verse 13. Why is that? Well, verse 11 and 12, what's it say? It says there's this, this huge wind that's ripping the mountain apart. There's a, a fire that's consuming. There's an, an earthquake that happens. And if Elijah stepped out in the midst of the hurricane, the fire and the earthquake, he would have been wiped out. But instead, where's Elijah? He's hidden in the cleft of the rock. He's hidden in this cave so, so that the mountain absorbs the hurricane. The mountain takes the fire. The mountain takes the earthquake. Now think about where you've seen these kinds of things before in Scripture. Think about Isaiah chapter 6 when, I, when Isaiah's in the, the throne room of God. And what do we see? We see an earthquake. Think about Exodus. So you got to remember, where is Elijah here? It says he's on Mount Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai. So here is on that same mountain, he's experiencing this, this, this fire and this hurricane and this earthquake, which, which really he would know, man, this is God's holiness on display. God's judgment, his righteousness, his holiness, this earthquake, this fire, this wind. But here's the thing, we see these things again. We see them again in the New Testament as Christ is on the cross and the earth shakes. Why? God's holiness. Elijah's seeing this holiness of God on display, but he's hidden in the, the rock away from the holiness and the judgment of God. This rock, this mountain absorbs it so that Elijah could step out and get grace. We know that on the cross, Jesus absorbs God's judgment. He, he's our rock of refuge so that we now can get grace. Jesus absorbs the hurricane so we get the whisper. And what Elijah sees as this shadow, as this picture pointing to something, we get to look back and see the clarity of it, the reality of it on the cross, that Christ took that. He is our mountain of refuge. And here's what I love. When you start to read in the book of Acts, the first four chapters of Acts, you see these same things again. You see, you see, you see an earthquake. You see fire. You see a hurricane. And right away in Acts chapter 2, we see this, the spirit comes in as a mighty rushing wind, and, and he appears like a fire on the believers, but not to destroy, now to fill them with power. Acts 4, they pray, and the room shakes, not to destroy them, but to fill them with boldness. What are we seeing? That, that Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, our rock, absorbs the wrath of God. The earthquake, the hurricane, the fire, so we now in him experience the power of God. 
in the wilderness, we, we have this truth of God's grace to hold on to, to embrace, to, to recognize that if, if Jesus gives us his very life while we're his enemies, how much more can we trust his love and his goodness while we're his sons and daughters in the wilderness? When you're discouraged, when you're depressed, you, you might feel alone, but listen, you're not. How can I say that? Because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we, even in our darkest days, would never have to question if God's forsaken us. So when you feel like all hope is lost, it's, it's out of control, we can look to the cross and see in that event, that, that time that looked like it was a time when God was the most not in control. He was so in control in that moment, working out our salvation for our good and for his glory. So if a, a good, all-powerful, all-wise, if, if that God was fully in charge at the cross, listen, we can be sure that he's fully in charge in, in our lives when it feels like he's not doing those things that we would expect him to do. How does God appear to Elijah? The end of verse 12, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Jesus gets the tornado, Jesus gets the earthquake, Jesus gets the fire of God's wrath so that we can hear this still, small, gracious voice of the Holy Spirit speaking God's grace over us. God's in the whisper. I started to wonder, why is it when life is so difficult, God's voice becomes so quiet? Why would his voice be so, so small? Well, if God wants us to, to hear him, if he wants us to follow him and to see him, why would he choose to whisper? Why doesn't he shout in those moments? I would say this. God whispers because he's close. Because he's right there. The devil shouting out his lies. God right there with you. You whisper to somebody when you're right against their face. It's drawing you close. Why? Because he's whispering. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I've been with you every single moment. And I love you more than you can imagine. I'm with you in the valley. I'm with you in the wilderness. Why does he whisper? He whispers because he's right there so close to us. I mean, I think of my kids when they were little and, and things were scary at night. If they heard a sound or thunder goes off in the middle of the night, where are they going? They're rushing to get into bed. They want to be close, right? In the middle of the storm, in the middle of your wilderness, Jesus comes as Emmanuel. He's with you. He's right there. He's close. And if, you, if your heart is hurting right now in this season, you're asking, where is God now? The scripture tells you in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So Christmas is this loud reminder of a gentle truth. Jesus is our Emmanuel. God with us. Preach this to yourself. As the worst team comes up, as we close off this morning, I'd ask if you'd stand where you are right now. And let me ask you this as you stand up to get ready to worship. 
where are you at with what we have just seen from God's word? What's the spirit pressing in on your heart even right now? And can you hear that still, small voice? Paul says in Romans 8 that that the Spirit of God is is at work in those who put their trust in Christ to remind us that we're sons and daughters, that that by that Spirit we get to cry out, Abba, Father. And so right now, where you are, I I just ask right now that we would would pray that you just, we are at heads bowed, eyes closed. And you'd ask yourself, are you wandering in a wilderness right now? I mean, if that's where you feel you are, you are right now, I'd even say this with, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you'd, you'd, you'd raise your hand and go, Kai, that's me right now. Pastor Kai, would you, would you pray for me? Because man, I feel that right now. If that's real, I'd just say, raise your hand where you're at. I could pray for you. If you feel this, This morning, you say, I need to hear the true voice of grace today. And I need to hear, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I need to hear, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. You need to hear God whisper, no height, no depth, no power, no setback, no valley, no wilderness can ever separate me from your love. Where you can hear God whisper, I'm working in all things. It might look differently than you thought it would look, but my, my love has never stopped. The, the cross and the resurrection prove that. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray for those who don't know you this morning. God, I pray that they, their hearts would be open to, to hear your whisper for the first time, to respond to your grace. Or God, to admit their need for your grace, to believe that you've brought forgiveness so that that sin that separates us from your Emmanuel presence is no longer there. I pray today would be a day where those who don't know you confess their need for this grace as they call out, God, forgive me. God, save me. God, transform me. God, bring me near today. Father, I also pray for those who are followers of yours and yet are in the wilderness. I pray by the power of your spirit, God, that you'd you'd reveal yourself in a whisper. God, you would come so near. God, to show us that you're with us, that you love us, that your grace is enough. God, you be our comfort. that the gospel will be more clear than the lies, even today. God, that you'd use the wilderness as only you can, that you'd, you'd reveal yourself in a new way, a way we never could have seen you on the mountaintop, that you'd move us to, to be in a place of desperately depending on you this morning. You remind us again that the, the good news, that because of the cross where you absorbed the wrath of the Father against sin, Lord Jesus, where you took our penalty, where you died in our place, where you rose again to defeat sin and hell and death. 
God, you remind us again today that there is no wilderness too deep for your arm of grace to reach. That you are our Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.